Hi, and welcome to the show. Uh, today, we're speaking with Jade Luke, and Jade is an independent trainer. Her area is specifically customer service training and sales, or shall we say, subjects in the area of customer service training. And she has, just like I do, a hospitality background, and that's something which we're both passionate about, and you'll hear that mentioned, of course, in the episode. Speaking of passion... As you'll hear, Jade's episode, or rather her business, is a family business. And I found that very interesting, in fact, because it's not too often I have someone on the show whose siblings have an interest in the training business. And I've met Jade recently because we co-facilitated a workshop in San Francisco this year, which is 2018. It's a wonderful city. San Francisco was my first time there. And we had a really good time uh, training a hospitality brand, which is, of course, the reason why we were chosen by a training company to represent that company delivering this program. So without further ado, thanks again for your time today. This is episode 13 of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes, and this is the show for you, for training business owners all around the world. The, the premise or goal of the show is very simple. It's to help you to start to grow and to scale your training business. Now, without uh, going over the introduction again, let me just say that uh, before the music, I mentioned that today's guest is someone called Jade Luke, and she is primarily a customer service trainer. Her passion is customer service training, and her business, which is a family training business, is called customercarefirst.co.uk. I will, of course, provide any links which I mention. I'll provide those in the show notes to this episode. As you'll hear... Jade began as a legal clerk and then became an events coordinator and in the hospitality business from there made a leap to becoming a train-the-trainer candidate or graduate and she did her train-the-trainer TTT or sometimes called T3 and I like the idea of how she markets her training business and that's a conversation we had whilst we were co-facilitating a training program on behalf of a hospitality brand in San Francisco this year. So so I asked her on the show, I said, listen, come on and tell us about how you get things like Google Ads to work for you. And so she did. So let's meet Jade. Good morning, Jade. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted that you're on the program. We have worked together, of course. It's uh, it's worth telling people listening to the program and declaring that up front. We last worked together on a project in San Francisco. That was fun. It was, wasn't it? We had a great time. And I think the delegates really had a great time too and took a lot from it. So that's good. So for people who don't yet know you, you're based in the West Midlands of England. Where exactly is the West Midlands of England? Well, uh, West Midlands, I think 
I'm probably closer to to London than West Midlands. So I'm based just outside of London in the Watford area. So I tend to have most of my clients in London, but also around the UK as well. Right. So how is business? It is good, Mark. Very, very good. Obviously, as with any business, there are quiet periods and busy periods. But I'm finding that with the training that I do, which is customer service training, that it does tend to pick up over the summer uh, as that's when those businesses tend to be a bit quieter, so can afford to have people off the desks for training. Well, that's a great point. I never thought of that that way, yeah. It, because it, very often in summer months, um, a lot of training companies, in my experience, a lot of clients uh, tend to go quiet. They, they seem to have used up their money by that point. But you're saying that customer care actually is a great time to train people because they're not really necessarily so busy on the customer face. Absolutely, absolutely. So that that works well, yes. So how did you personally become involved in training, Jade? Wow, I kind of fell into it, Mark, um, a good few years back now. And I was given an opportunity while I was doing sales to do some training for one of the other teams. Uh, it was for a hotel that I was working for and I was asked to, to, to train one of the other teams. And I sort of just took it with both hands and thought, let me give it a go and, and really enjoy it as much as I can. And I absolutely did. And the feedback was great and the results were great. And it kind of just made me think, you know what, I feel that this is something that I could really get my teeth into and, and look into more of. And as a result, I kept giving more train, get kept get given more training to do across the hotel until eventually a new role was created for me within the HR department because albeit it was a large hotel, they didn't actually have a proper training function at that time. So I was kind of the, the forerunner and <laughs> given the massive responsibility of creating something. So I think that was, was my sort of into training and made me realize this is absolutely what I want to do and I, I've not looked back. <laughs> what did you do before you came to start in training? Before I started in training I was in sales and was, was selling event space and prior to that I did a bit of events as well and I think my my very first experience at work was with regards to customer service, customer care, um, doing receptionist work and I think that's where my passion for customer service originally came from just having so many years of, of dealing frontline with people making sure that they're okay seeing too quickly queries dealt with complaints handled and I think that just it was a great skill to develop so early in my career but definitely planted that passion for, for service and then obviously um, that married together with my training experience and customer care first was born. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I can I can relate to that because I went to hotel management school many, many, many years ago. And um, yeah, I loved it. I, I worked for Club Med. I worked for Disney in Paris. I worked for Disney in Florida, uh, Sheraton Hotels. And uh, yeah, it just, it's it, something I think which is in the blood. If you, if you love uh, interfacing with customers, you know, and, and, and just giving people the feeling that they're welcome to a place and that you take care of them, you're aware of their needs and that you're really focused on their experience. It's, it's, I don't think there's anything quite like that. It's in, in some ways, it's quite actually logical to kind of go from that into training, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I see what you're saying. I think you do have to have a passion for people, whether you're in service 
or in training. So I think that being the foundation for both of those things is just a, a kind of beautiful combination when it comes together. So if someone offered you your old job back um, in recruitment or before that sales, would you take it? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I've come too far. Um, but no, I think, you know, it's great when you really find what you believe you're meant to do with your career and, and with your life. And I truly feel that doing not just customer service training, but training in general, helping people to unleash their potential and to learn and to grow and to do things better or differently. Um, that for me is, it's definitely what, what I'm meant to do, I believe. And so to, to go backwards or to do what I did before this, I just couldn't imagine it. So it's, it's more than a profession to you. It's almost a vocation. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a vocation and it's, it's a passion. And I think, you know, I, 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 I say the word passion so much when it comes to customer service because it is about having a passion for what you do to do something um, above and beyond. But I think, you know, to really, really enjoy what you do is so important. And I think that's the thing that takes you through the quiet periods, the busy periods, the, you know, really tough projects. That passion is what keeps you going. And I think it's so important to love what you do. And I truly do. We mentioned the word vocation. Um, and I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you had the level three certificate in assessing vocational achievement. Now, this is a, a UK uh, qualification for those listening to the program. What is that exactly? And how has it helped you? Sure. So uh, the shorter name for it, and, and maybe the more well-known name for it is the Carver. And I understand it was previously known as the A1 so it's an assessing qualification, which essentially means that you are qualified to take people at work through a vocational qualification. And I, I suppose that the top and bottom of it is whatever you are personally qualified in or personally experienced in, that's where you then have the credentials to take somebody in a similar field through a particular qualification. So there are customer service qualifications that people uh, tend to deliver quite a lot at work. Actually, my previous roles, we used to work with a college and deliver uh, vocational qualifications in customer service at different levels. So that sort of was the first thing that alerted me to, again, that marriage of, of being at work, but also learning and development and developing a qualification uh, you know, in, in, in what you're actually doing. So it being completely relevant and beneficial. And then I thought, you know, in terms of diversifying the business and increasing our offering within customer service, I felt that being able to offer work-based qualifications was a really smart step. So I achieved that qualification just towards the end of last year. And it's allowed me to be able to uh, tender for business, which is around those sorts of vocational qualifications. And it's great because the nature of that type of work is very flexible, as, as it is with training anyway. But, you know, you get to, um, again, define your own hours, choose which companies you do and don't deliver qualifications for and that sort of thing. And it's nice because it's different to training in that it's more of a long-term relationship with your learners. So, you know, you might have qualifications that are anywhere from a few weeks to, you know, 
a few months up to a year or what have you dependent on what it is and the speed at which the learners are going so it's nice being able to build a long-term relationship with people who are serious about improving their skills and their knowledge so let's look at your business next um you're the owner managing director of customer care first and the the url which i'll stick in the show notes to this podcast episode is www.customercarefirst.co.uk that's the one yes so how long is this business in operation exactly the business has been going since 2015 and it was something that i began when i went on maternity leave and it was something where i thought to myself i had wanted to venture out by myself for a while and maternity leave seemed like the <laughs> i say it seemed like the perfect opportunity a lot of moms probably thinking what <laughs> um to, to give up on all sleep and all rest and to try and make something of the opportunity to to be at home so i started building my website uh started putting all my courses together a brochure together and all the things that i thought that i would need to be able to start communicating and selling my services to potential clients and i gave myself a deadline of getting my first piece of business by um august which was a month before i was due to go back to work and i decided that if i got my first piece of business and that was my sign to to not go back to work and really put everything into this and if i hadn't have got my first piece of business by that time then you know I wouldn't be here today um so I'm I'm really glad that I kind of had a a plan and a goal and it paid off because it's so crucial to me being able to uh, determine how much time I spend at home against time at work and it's just that flexibility which was really important at the beginning and obviously in terms of income and finance and that sort of thing. But most importantly, just being able to build something that I have complete um, control over and and in terms of direction and creativity and and what I believe is most important to uh, potential clients. So what are some of the challenges in running your own training business from day to day? Ah, have we got time, Mark? (laughs) (laughs) We do. (laughs) We do. Um, So some of the uh, challenges in terms of running a business are are definitely those first beginning stages where you get a few pieces of business and then you um, wonder, you know, was this definitely the right thing? Is this is this tempo going to to keep up? So you do have those sleepless nights where, you know, you look at things in your pipeline and you wonder, is it enough? And and what might your pipeline look like over the next few months and, and later on in the year? So there's a lot of instability which happens at the beginning, which can make you feel quite uh, anxious and wonder where you, whether you've made the right decision. And I think one of the other challenges, as with any business, you tender for a piece of business and it all seems like it's about to happen. And then things can change at the very last minute. Your contact uh, can leave, as has happened in, in, in my situation, and then that disrupts the relationship or um, budgets change or minds get changed. So there's a lot of, again, instability with regards to business that you thought was coming your way that then doesn't come your way. Uh, And it's just learning that um, you have to get a little bit more level-headed because I used to get extremely excited about everything that used to come in. And I've got quite a high conversion rate, which probably (laughs) didn't help. But, you know, you do get those pieces of businesses that you don't get. And then you have to really work hard not to feel, not to dwell on those things too long. Just get up, keep moving. Um, And I think one of the biggest things for me is to, 
is to always be doing something to grow the business. So every single day, whether I'm busy, whether I've got my son at home, whether whatever it is, I always do one thing towards the business. Because for me personally, I have I don't want to ever look back and feel like I didn't do everything I could to make this work. So I'm always always on the go, always doing something to build the business. So give us an example of the kinds of things that that would uh, qualify. In other words, the kinds of things that would literally count so that at the end of the day, you could say, you know, looking back today, I did something to grow the business. What kinds of things would those be? Absolutely. So some of those things might be uh, doing a bit of research into uh, companies that potentially are in the news with regards to customer service or, you know, low profits, which could be tied back to service. And, you know, just for example, there's quite a few major retailers, major retailers who have been in the news recently, specifically with regards to their customer service. So I see those as opportunities to look at my LinkedIn network, find out who I know that works works there, see if I can get an open door there. So it might be having a look at people who potentially have a need for customer service training. It might be looking at the website and making sure that, uh, you know, that, that, that it's still serving my customers' needs, making sure that it's still easy to navigate. And I think the, the thing with websites, um, and I think, Mark, I showed you mine when we were in the US, and I noticed that something was wrong on it. Something had come up that should really be in the back room. And I was like, oh, my God, everyone's seeing this. So, you know, it's, it's kind of not taking you off the ball with that and just making sure that things are, are perfect. And um, it, it might be things like looking at my Google adverts, making sure that those are performing, tweaking those when necessary. Um, you know, it might be phoning up a client um, who's been in my pipeline, finding out where they are so there's lots of different things that you can do to 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 make sure that you're progressing and doing your very best so let's come back to um the the website in a moment and and google ads that's something i'd love to talk to you about looking at looking at customer service specifically um it's it's quite a bold move to have your url explicitly state your niche or your niche if you're in the US. So in other words, <laughs> www.customercaretraining or customercarefirst.co.uk. Do you find that rules other things out? Are you are you happy to have explicitly, if you will, nailed your colors to the mast? We're doing customer care training. <laughs> this is what we do. And don't come to us for anything else. Yes, I think the thing with me, I didn't want to take such a risk with starting a business and do anything that I didn't know how to do. The, the, you know, the extent to which I was willing to do that was with regards to creating a website that I'd never done before and, and generally starting a business that I hadn't done before. But I, I kind of wanted to have as much credibility as possible with regards to my personal background and experience and passion, which was customer service. So that's why I took the decision to be extremely niche, make that my URL, make that my um, USP. And, you know, it's like going back to Carver, the the, um, certificate that I have, just diversifying within that. So as well as customer service training and vocations, sorry, um, vocational qualifications, I also do work with companies to create and implement customer service policies and procedures. So that's another area that I work in that, again, diversifies what I offer, but within customer service. And I think as I have grown in the business, I have had clients ask me about doing recruitment skills training, sales training, and I'm happy to do all of those and have done all of those. But I think 
I, I wouldn't want to say yes to anything where I don't have the credibility for because what I've found in the beginning I kind of thought well you know just say yes to everything and, and you'll work it out and I, I kind of still do adopt that mantra and I think it was Richard Branson who says something along those lines as well about say yes and work it out later however I find that to be really effective and I don't know um, if you agree with me here Mark but to be really effective in a training session you have to be able to talk from personal experience and you know learners delegates are really interested as to how you've done something and and you know if we're coming in here saying you need to do this differently or this is how you can take this to the next level we've got to have that credibility and that background to say why and this is the benefits of it so hence why I like to kind of stick to what I know stick to what I've done before in some sort of way and that just happens to majorly be customer service so let's take uh, without giving uh, any client specific details away let's take a, a, a typical training project with one of your clients Give us an idea of, of what that's like from beginning to end, the kinds of things you'd cover, the kinds of questions you're asked, and so on. So from initial inquiry, I always make the effort, because uh, I do do sales training as well, as you know, Mark, I'll always make the effort to pick up the phone, introduce myself. I really like to lift things from email because it can be a little bit impersonal and people don't always give you the information that you really need to properly tailor your solution. So um, on the phone, finding out you know, what the needs are, what the sales process is going to be, etc. And what tends to happen is there tends to be one or two conversations over a couple of weeks before my uh, prospective client will make a decision to, to give their business to me. Um, at which point we tend to either organize a face-to-face meeting where I go in, find out a little bit more about the team I'll be working with, find out more about the business, or it might be that I just have a very in-depth conversation with the team manager or team leader or what have you to just find out what's really going on with the team. Because that's so crucial to be able to deliver the right solution, whether it's ready-made that's slightly tailored or, or whether it's completely bespoke. I have to ask really great questions around the objectives for the training what's going well at the moment, what needs to be improved, what are the likely challenges that I might get from delegates within the session, those sorts of things. Um, and then I'm, I, as the person delivering the training session, I like to be that person's main contact up until the day. So nothing gets lost, uh, nothing you know falls by the wayside. And then go in, deliver the training. And I'm quite happy for the people who have booked the training or the managers to be in the training but I'm very much about if you're going to be here you need to take part because it's you know to make people who are trying to learn feel as though they're being observed can be quite uncomfortable so I do try to involve them as much as possible so that everybody's on the same page and I'm very big on action plans Mark as I know you are and and learners agreeing and and having some accountability for what they're going to do differently and for a day's training I don't care if it's one thing they decide they're going to do differently but there needs to be something that made it worth their while and something that they think you know what let me just give this a go and do something differently and I put a lot of responsibilities after the training on the manager or the team leader to make those action plans come to life to embed all the conversations, all the discussions, all the group work, because I'm very practical in my training sessions. So there'll be loads and loads of flip charts everywhere. And so I like, you know, 
managers to take those things away and and work on what do we do with this stuff? Where do we put it? How do we use it day to day? And then stay in contact. Gosh, it sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm it's a bit of a mouthful, sorry, Mark, but um, I'm always there. So stay in contact with um, the person who booked the training, find out how it's all going, um, do some more detailed evaluations as to, you know, what what's come out of the training and how it's helping. And look at other areas in which, the team might need to develop also I think that's really important not just from a business development perspective but from a you know what more do the team need to be able to deliver their very best training tends to be quite specific to a few certain issues but nine times out of ten within training other things will come out and other areas that actually could be touched upon later on down the line. So it's about working with my clients to make sure that they're aware of those further needs and looking at how we address those needs in the future rather than it being a tick box exercise. Thanks for coming in. Off you go. I like to work my clients long term so that, you know, we are, we are delivering according to the team's changing needs and circumstances which of course gives you um i suppose a nice entry point again if something has come up in the classroom and then you can bring this to the point uh, to the um notice of the decision maker and say by the way these themes emerged and um perhaps we didn't cover these in in the group session but it could be a nice thing to tackle at a future session. Yeah, it leads to business development. You mentioned someone, you mentioned the person who books the training, which need, leads me to a nice topic, which I think a lot of trainers uh, sometimes struggle with. I know I did, which is how do you decide what to charge clients for your various programs? Sure. So that that's a really great question because I did struggle with this in the beginning. And I, my initial plan was that I would charge clients what I was charging when I was looking after training in my previous role before I went on maternity leave. So in my mind, I knew that clients were were biting at that and they were happy with that. So I thought, well, that's a good as price, as good as price as any to begin to charge. And it worked. However, um, I then thought, let me do a bit of market research and find out who my competitors are and what they're charging. And I realized that in some areas, so for example, for my full day courses, that price was quite competitive. But what I noticed was that for half day courses, a lot of companies still charge a full day rate for those because actually it's very hard then to book the trainer to do something else. So really you have gotten for the full day, whether you're using them or not. So that was a price I need to look at. And then with bespoke uh, training prices that that's very difficult to, to to even now still pin down unless you really have somebody who's willing to be very honest um, so I think what I've had to do is using that market research and the specifics that I've got out of that use that but then the non-specifics I've sort of had to feel it out a little bit if I'm honest and I've had to look at you know, how quickly a client saying yes or no to this? Because if it's a very easy yes, potentially it's too cheap. Um, if it's constantly no's, potentially it's too expensive. Um, but it's also about, and obviously from our, our, our sales experience markets, about are they understanding the value of what it means to actually design a training program from scratch based on very specific needs and objectives. So it's, under, it's, it's making sure that your clients really are aware of what they're paying for. Um, and I think 
what I found going back to picking up the phone and really having that personal connection, people will pay you more if they feel that you are going to deliver. So sometimes it's not about the specifics of pricing. It's about what are you actually offering? Is it value for money? And are you making the client feel as though this is really, really going to turn things around? Yeah, great answer. And I think that um, as you were uh, speaking there, a couple of things popped into mind. And one of the things I'm going to do on a future episode of the podcast is to maybe talk to someone about the ways that you can actually plan a customer journey. In other words, it isn't just about training. Uh, there are possible offerings before training, if you will, pre-training. There are um, different options to per perhaps bill a customer for things like uh, 360 evaluations or coming in and doing an assessment before the training's delivered and designed. There's the design itself. There's the delivery of the training, which we've just talked about. And then, of course, there's, there's the follow-up. And it's funny how that early in my career eluded me. I did never thought of actually designing something to follow up. You know, it seems so obvious now. But the, the, the training companies that I've worked with as an associate, uh, some of them at least, are very good at this. They're thinking not just, okay, what can we do today, but how can we actually build this relationship so that the person needs us and we need them? So that kind of an interdependency evolves from this. And on that basis, what would make sense? So it could be, for example, some coaching. It could be um, a 30, a 60, a 90-day touch point series so that people feel they're not just being, you know, patted on the back and let go, but that they have you. If they need to, they can drop you a line, drop you an email, they can expect to see you again. And the other advantage, of course, of that is that as a delegate, you feel you're being held accountable. Take the learning, you know, as you said, declare an action point, do it publicly, make a commitment. And now let's let's see what you do with this. And I'll be back, by the way. <laughs> I'll be back <laughs> exactly. to make sure that yeah. this is be actually being actioned. Exactly, exactly. And I think from a sales point of view, laying all of that out as part of your proposal from the beginning is really, really important. Because what I found is that if you suggest things later on, uh, clients can start to switch off a bit because they think, well, well, this is another thing that I now have to think about or worry about. So I do agree with you, Mark, having that structure and that plan, but making sure that it's sold at the beginning is really important because then from a trainer perspective, you can follow that and, and know when you need to be contacting your client and what you need to be doing next. But also from a client's perspective, they know what to expect as well. And I think the more you do in the beginning, rather than adding things along the way, the better. And from a cost perspective as well, what I found is, so if I send a proposal to a client and, and sort of suggest the different areas that, that we need to cover to achieve the objectives, certain elements clients don't expect to pay for. So just for as, as an example, if I was to put a, a fee for uh, evaluation that's something that would be a sticking point because in their minds, that's just standard. Like, why would you not evaluate after the training um, and make sure that this has, has hit the mark? So you, although it costs you time as a trainer to do those things, you have to think about how you build it into your whole package and how you price it rather than doing a breakdown for everything because that's where you can get into a bit of pricing wars where clients feel like, well, you know, that's just standard. You shouldn't be charging for that. So if it's still cost you time it might be that you have to build it into the training element cost or or you know the the kind of shadowing day cost or whatever so you, you have to be a bit careful about 
how and where you price things, I would say. Yeah, I, I think you should still uh, put that on the on the proposal, even though there's no price to it. And what I tend to do in the past is I might have a, uh, you know, uh, whether I'm charging in dollars or euros or pounds um, or something else, I, w- I will literally put down training evaluation zero, zero, so that they see it, it's there, they're aware of it. It's it's not just a, an assumption, it, it's, it's not being charged, but I want people to know it's actually being part of the service so that there is a cost to me at least. And that's why, you know, what I'm giving them is actually representative of, of good value. Let's move on to marketing. How do you market yourself? And, and the reason I'm really interested in this because uh, is very simple. When you and I spoke last in San Francisco, um, you showed me your website and I was really fascinated with your approach to things like Google ads and landing pages. Some, some trainers um, might find this sometimes a bit technical, a bit daunting, you know, oh my goodness, I've enough to contend with by running my own training business. Uh, you know, I want to hand across tech stuff to to someone else. Um, I'm just curious, can you explain in your experience how you found uh, success with Google ads and, and landing pages? Absolutely. And I have to say, you know, it's not something that, that I had a plan to do. And when I first started the business, my plan was just, I'm going to have to cold call and send emails and, and, you know, hopefully that works. I had no idea about the concept of of online advertising and specifically Google ads until I spoke to a family member who runs a successful business and they said uh, you're going to have to do Google ads and I looked into it and the associated costs and I thought can I really do this but I I reasoned that even if I just got one booking um, confirmed via that avenue then that would you know that's a, a return on investment instantly in terms of what I'd spent so you know, it is quite daunting because I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a very technical person at all, but I am very, um, uh, you know, I, I like to save money. So when I built my website, which I used Wix for, that was a cost saving exercise. But also I wanted to have control because things are constantly changing and I like to be able to quickly log on, make a tweak here and then not have to wait on somebody elsewhere having to do those things. And, you know, I think, Going back to Google Ads and making that really tie in with my website, things such as landing pages, what have you, being able to create those quickly and easily and then tie that in with my Google Ads was really useful. But I would say, you know, if I can learn Google Ads, literally anyone can, Mark, because, um, as I say, not very technically minded at all. So what I would say is that Google Ads do offer a lot of support and help in the beginning. And there's a, there's a lot of templates. So for example, Google Ads is very much based on keywords. So keywords being what phrases should people type in online to find you and your business? So for example, with me, it was along the lines of customer service training, telephone skills training, complaints handling training, improved customer service, those sorts of things. And the template that Google Ads provides allows you to add all of those words and it very cleverly then generates a campaign for you which basically gets you off on the right foot, gets you started. And then within a couple of weeks, you'll have a call from somebody who looks after your account who will really just go into the detail of what are you trying to achieve with your online advertising and this is how we can do that. So there's a lot of support there and as you get to grips with it, and I think it is a good idea to create your your campaign rather than get somebody to do it for you because that gives you the insight as to 
what you do need to change and and gives you an insight as to how it works generally because I find that I have to check my Google Ads um, about once a week I would say because I want to make sure that if I'm okay so you pay per click you pay every time somebody clicks on your advert you you pay per click which I think is a really brilliant way of knowing what you are going to spend each day on advertising because you can set a budget so for example you might say you want to have a spend of £20 a day, £30 a day, £100 a day, and then the amount of clicks you get will fall within that budget and anything outside of that, then it's then capped. So it's great in terms of being able to plan how much you want to spend, but it just means that what you don't want to do is then have some of your keywords being flagged for things that don't quite meet what you are advertising and what I mean is for example customer service training as a phrase can be uh, utilized in many different ways by internet users so somebody might type in good ideas for customer service training now if I haven't tweaked my campaign in the right way then my adverts will show for that phrase and I don't want people to look for for that, I want people to specifically search for me when they're considering booking customer service training. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. So I then have to make sure that I'm tweaking my campaign. I won't go into too much detail because it doesn't make sense unless you're doing it. But you have to tweak so that you're not getting charged for things that aren't relevant. So I would say once a week is great to sort of just make sure that your money has been spent how it should, that you're underperforming keywords or adverts linked to those keywords are performing as they should be. So you, you do have a lot of control over it. You can pause it when you want. If you go on holiday and you've got nobody picking up your inquiries, you could pause it. Um, you can adjust your spend you know, at any point. If you find that your income is low for a particular month, you might want to lower your advertising budget or indeed increase it. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility. And I would say that um, most of my business comes, most of my direct business comes from Google Ads. So I cannot praise it enough yeah I'm, I'm certainly not a promoter of it <laughs> um as in I'm not a paid promoter but I I cannot um you know I, I cannot say enough how useful it is in terms of getting your business out in front of customers who are searching for what you're selling so as a high level overview you you're using wix wix.com which is a kind of um it's a hosted um do-it-yourself build-it-yourself website platform absolutely and i think i've seen adverts on tv it's quite a well-known platform one of the more common ones alternatively there are things such as wordpress which from an not to get too technical from but from an seo point of view i have heard that wordpress is a little bit more advantageous advantageous in that sense yeah that's what um, i use mm. yeah yeah but i in terms of can I see a negative impact of not using something like that for my stuff? No. So I can talk about Wix very positively in that respect. Extremely easy to use, extremely easy to uh, use a template, make it your own. I would say even the least technically minded person could come up with at least a one page, very basic website within the day and have it up and running. So um, Wix is great super easy and it looks super professional as well 
and there's lots of different apps in the in the back room where you can measure traffic you can add forms you can use the invoicing platform they have which which I use so there's a lot of great things in the back room as well that, that really help you to strengthen your your business app your your, your business offering and, and the term um, the term landing page, if someone's listening to this conversation is perhaps not familiar with what that means. Sure. The landing page is literally the page that you want people to land on once they click on your ad, right? Absolutely. So when I first started, I thought that when somebody clicks on your advert on Google Ads, they should go to your homepage. But what you've got to remember as an internet user, if you've typed in a very specific key phrase, you then want to be shown information relating to that specific key phrase. So if they then end up on your homepage and are bombarded with everything about you and not that specific information they're looking for, that can make somebody click off instantly, which is obviously a potential lost piece of business and you essentially paid for a click that is of, of, of no benefit. So I was told about landing pages from one of my friends who is a, a web designer where all of your Google adverts should click back to a page that your user lands on that has very specific information with regards to what they have just searched for. So for example, if somebody was to type in telephone skills training online, my advert would come up they would click through to that and rather than seeing my homepage or anything relating to general customer service training or or um you know processes and and implementation all those other services they would go to a page that specifically relates to telephone skills training courses so my blurb my course outline Everything on that page relates specifically to what my telephone skills course is, why it's beneficial, why they should book it and how to get in touch. So my advice would be for anybody considering creating a website and using Google Ads with it would be to have landing pages for any specific service that you offer. And yes, indeed, you could end up with, you know, 10, 15, 20, you could end up with loads of landing pages, but you don't necessarily need to show those landing pages in your navigation menu on your website. It's more of a backroom thing so that when people are going on your ads, then they land there. And if they wanted to look at your website generally, then they could go to your homepage and explore from there. So I would just say it's a really great way of selling the key benefits of that specific service that you're hoping to sell. And the other thing about any website, it should be super easy for somebody to be in contact with you. So all of my landing pages have a form on there that people can submit their details to inquire, as well as my telephone number and email address. So I don't just point people back to the contact page. Every single page has a way of contacting us from there. Yeah, that makes sense. So what you just said actually is gold dust. Um, e- each page almost becomes a separate website in it, in its own right. That you, I think you've got it in one there, Mark. That's exactly what a landing page should be. They shouldn't really need to look anywhere else unless they're extremely interested in what you do generally. The landing page should tell them everything they need to know about what it is they've just searched for. And ideally, they should go from a landing page to your contact form and you should then receive an inquiry um, because with Google Ads, you can see where 
people have clicked and with Wix you can also see the pages the individual pages that people have visited and what I find is that when people hit a landing page they tend to then submit their inquiry without having to visit anywhere else on the website which is exactly what you want super easy to get in touch super quick absolutely and and it really is as simple as that yeah I'm just conscious of time here, uh, but, but just coming to the end here, is there anything you've tried that hasn't worked? Because I often think that, you know, knowing what not to do can save as much time as knowing what to do. Yes, I think that one of the things that I think doesn't work is not being flexible. And this might be quite a late lesson as a trainer. However, it was something that was really important to me. In my last role before maternity leave, our ethos was, these are the training packages that we offer. This is how we do it. And you either want it or you don't. And when I first started my business, I really tried to sell clients on my way of doing things. It needs to be this length. We need to cover this. Shouldn't really sub that. And it was all very rigid because that's what I knew best. And I think very quickly I realized that to be successful as a trainer and as a business, you have to be flexible according to what your clients want. And even if you get a client who says, you know, I only want an hour's training, then as long as you are extremely clear and realistic about what can be achieved within that hour, then that's what matters most because it's not for me to go in and say, well, you really need four hours if the client can only make one hour available. But again, it goes back to what can you achieve within that hour? Are they clear that what you can achieve in four hours is a lot more than what you could achieve in one? So whereas I used to say no to a lot of things because it didn't fit in with what I like to do, I now say yes to a lot more things because it's what the client wants And I've been really clear and honest about that's great. And this is what that is going to look like based on that amount of time or based on that objective. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So being very clear about um, what what can be achieved given expectations, given parameters. And you're right. Someone just may have no option but to commission an hour's training. I've often been surprised how organizations uh, want, you know, literally miracles in a short amount of time. But having a conversation with someone who's an expert in learning and development, you can work with that. Um, I mean, there are models such as micro learning, where you literally cover something in 90 minutes. But as long as the expectations are clear, then people are, you know, know up front what they're getting and what, what they can achieve as a result of that engagement. Definitely. And what I've learned is anything you say no to, somebody else is going to say yes to. So you have to think about how can I, you know, you have to think about how much do you want that piece of business and can you make it work? Because you think that when you say no, that's impossible. You you almost think everybody else is going to think it's impossible too, and they don't. So if it's not what they want, they will just go and find something else. So I think our very best tool as trainers is just to make sure that there's that flexibility. Yes, we can deliver what you want, but I think that's one thing about learning objectives, um, being very clear on those. Because when I first started, again, I was like, right, we, you know, we've got loads of learning objectives here. We're going to cover all of this. And I'm now realizing actually covering less, but in more detail into a, a better quality is much more important than covering 10 or 20 things. So again, time allotted, time available that clients give you. It's making sure that you're covering those quality key things rather than 10, 15, 20 things. 
Tempting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> to go on and on. Uh, so rather than go on and on, um, final question for me, and I really enjoyed the conversation today. Um, where can our listeners find out more about you and Customer Care First? I would say that the first port of call is the website that I've been <laughs> banging on about, um, customercarefirst.co.uk. And that's the first port of call in terms of what I do, who I work with, in terms of my clients and um, a little bit more about me and my background and my contact details are on there as well if you have if anybody needs to get in touch for um, either you know any advice a, a referral an inquiry what have you because um, I do work with other trainers as well on joint projects so always open to those sorts of conversations as well because I think when you've got people with different specialities it, it is nice to, to have those expertise. So that would be the first port of call. And I am also on LinkedIn as well. So people can feel free to connect with me on there under Jade Luke. Jade Luke, J-A-D-E and then L-U-K-E. That's the one. Okay. I'll put all of this, uh, including the links that we've brought up in the conversation in the show notes to this episode. Jade, thank you so much for your time this morning and thanks for coming on the show. No, thank you so much, Mark. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Jay, thanks so much for being our guest on the show this week. I look forward to collaborating with you soon. Uh, I'm thinking of Pride Day, which we spent together in San Francisco. That was so much fun. And uh, yeah, it was really great to see that side of San Francisco. A, a privilege to see all those companies out on the street uh, for a really great cause. And as for you, our listeners, thank you for your time this week. Thank you so much for myself and the team here at trainingbusiness.com. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the show for training business episodes or training business talk like this every single Thursday. And may we ask you to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts because this helps us to promote the show and to attract the kinds of guests whose business journey, whose training business journey specifically, can help you with yours. You can check out the podcast every single Thursday on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, on our website, which is www.trainingbusiness.com. So next Thursday, you know the score by now. There's a fresh episode coming out. That's episode 14. We look forward to your time and your interest again next Thursday. So until then, keep the emails coming and suggestions for content coming. We look forward to those and we do take them seriously. So until then, have a great week. See you soon. Bye-bye. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.